In the passage immediately preceding our text today, it makes it very clear that the apostles were having a wonderful experience in ministry. They were performing signs and wonders, we're told. More and more people kept joining this new church. People from communities around Jerusalem began to bring those who were sick and who were filled with unclean spirits and place them before the apostles and they were being healed. Some were healed if they even fell under the shadow of Peter when he walked by. It was revival time. People were having a good time. The apostles were having a good time. Apparently even God is really enjoying this. But the high priest was not having a good time. All of this threatened everything upon which he had built his life and his ministry. Then we come to our text today. So the high priest took action. He had the apostles imprisoned. It was the only way to stop this mounting revolution of all that was critical and central to his understanding of the faith. But later that same night, we're told that an angel came into the cell where the apostles were imprisoned and opened the doors and told the disciples to go back to the temple and keep teaching so that the people might have the whole message of this life. It's a fascinating term. Preach so that the people might have the whole message about this life. Not a message about another life, but this life the whole message, which implies that we only know and live out of half the message. We're clear about the part of the message that describes loss and limitation and heartache and despair. We've got down the part of the message that describes our racism and our sexism and our violence and our injustice. We know about that. So does the gospel. That's why it's incarnational. It wades into the midst of all of that. But that's only half the message. That's just how it is. The gospel goes on to proclaim how it shall be. The whole message. Keep teaching the whole message. Well, the next morning, the high priest decides to begin his day by calling together the the whole council, and all the body of the elders, everybody who was a big shot, and he was going to put the apostles on trial. So he sends the temple police down to retrieve these apostles from the prison. The temple police. Don't even get me started on how many things are wrong with temple police. <laughs> but the police returned to say, look, the prison is secure. All the guards are in place. But those men that you arrested, they're not in their jail cell. We don't know where they are. We're told then that the high priests were perplexed and wondered what might be going on. That's the exact quote. Perplexed and wondered what might be going on. It's striking that Luke uses this phrase. It's almost the exact same phrase that Luke uses when the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that the Lord is with you. We are told that she was perplexed and wondered what these words might mean. 
what they mean is that the Lord is with you. Often throughout the entire gospel narrative, when the Lord is with us, people become perplexed and wonder what is going on. A God who is with us in the nativity, that's perplexing. What can that mean, that God is with us? The signs and wonders that this God with us performed in Jesus Christ, this God who is with us can be crucified. How can that be? The resurrection? What could be more perplexing? A risen Savior who now is ascended and reigns on our behalf? What does that mean? And now some apostles are set free from prison. So perplexing to those who think they understand how things work and have taken control of it. You know about being perplexed, don't you? You felt called to come to seminary, but you're not sure that you know what you're called to do. Or a woman will sit down at Thanksgiving dinner with her family and she'll try again to explain to her father and mother-in-law why she brought her son to seminary, their son to seminary. And she'll try to explain responses to their questions like, I hear there aren't many jobs for pastors, as if that's a newsflash to anyone. It's perplexing that you'd be called to something where the odds don't appear so good. Or later, when you become a pastor and the going gets very difficult, You'll be perplexed why God ever got you into this mess to begin with. Don't run past your perplexity. Stay with it. According to the scriptures, it's just one of the signs that the Lord is with you. Well, while the high priest and the scribes and the whole council of elders are wading through their perplexity over what this could mean, Someone rushes into their midst and says, hey, those guys that you arrested for teaching in the temple, they're now, uh, well, teaching in the temple. (laughs) So they send the temple cops to go arrest them again. They bring them this time back into the assembly of the priests and the scribes. And when Peter realizes he's in the midst of all the religious leaders, he can't help but do a little preaching. So he says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus, the one that you hung on a tree. And this Jesus is now at God's right hand for the purpose of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Well, when the council heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill the apostles. But eventually a Pharisee Not one of the guys who was in control, but was there that day. Gamaliel, we know him from other texts. He gets everyone's attention. And old Gamaliel says, be careful here. First, he tells them a couple of stories about some other men who thought they were messiahs, a guy named Thutius and and another named Judas from Galilee. And he says, remember, they got a little gathering together, and we killed those guys off, and their followers scattered. And I can imagine that the scribes cuckling to themselves and saying, yeah, we showed them. But then Gamaliel goes on and says, stay away from these men. Do not lay hands on them. For if this plan is of human origin, it will also fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. 2,000 years after Gamaliel's prophecy, 
The church's walls continue to stand strong amidst the ruins of long ago discarded ideologies that have lost all intellectual respect. The church's gospel has overcome persecution from Caesar and the barbaric tribes and the Nazis and the killing fields and a long line of despots that's tried to snuff out the church just as it will survive and overcome such current malaises as materialism and comfortable despair. It will overcome, as it always has, not because of those of us in the church, not because of our strength or our wisdom or our valor. Frankly, those of us in the church are more dangerous to the church than those who try to assail it from the outside. We're not in the church because we're strong. We're in the church because we at least know we need its message of grace. When I had completed my doctoral studies in church history, I became absolutely convinced that there's any institution that history has ever seen that does not deserve to survive after 2,000 years, it's the church. But it does, not because of those of us who lead the church, but because of the truth of what the church proclaims. In the words of Peter, this Jesus who was crucified has risen. He's at the right hand of God. And he will continue to unfold this extraordinary message of salvation that offers the whole message of life. The whole message. It's fascinating to me that Luke gives Gamaliel one of the best lines in the entire book of Acts. If this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. Remember, Gamaliel was not a Christian. He's not a believer. He's not part of the church. He's worried about the church like everybody else. But he has the proclamation of the gospel, this extraordinary, extraordinary message. If this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. What does it mean that the gospel is proclaimed so profoundly by someone who's not in the church? That's perplexing. I know at least this. If as a minister of the gospel, you are not frequently perplexed, you do not understand the whole message of this life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.